Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. And before we start, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. If you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or X or whatever it is, we'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Hey, Erica. Hey, hey, long time, no podcast. <laughs> it's been a year. It's it's literally been a full year. Um, yeah. We're back. Hi. Hello. If you heard our Instagram live from last week, we kind of started up last Friday. We touched a little bit on where we've been and all that. And we will talk about that in more detail in a future episode. But today, big stuff's going on. Today. Big stuff. Today. Hell yeah. (laughs) So we are getting right into the biggest news in the Beatle world, which is the release of Now and Then, or as they are calling it, the last Beatles song. Dun-dun-dun. So a little background on this, which I'm sure a lot of Beatles fans already know most of this, but the song started out with the anthology project in the 90s. John had recorded some demos in the 70s. Yoko gave the tape to Paul, George, and Ringo when they were working on the anthology in 94. And out of that, we got the two new Beatles songs from the 90s, Free as a Bird and Real Love. Yes, we did. And they did start working on the third song, which became Now and Then, of course. And they recorded overdubs, new parts, like Erica said. Um, But they only got as far as making a rough mix, uh, as we all know, with the the producer of the anthology, Jeff Lynn. Yeah, the quality of this song, I guess it was worse compared to the other two. They couldn't separate John's, John's vocal from the piano. So when they wanted to up John's vocal, the piano would go really loud stuff like that. And there was um, like a tape hiss sound. They couldn't get rid of it. So they didn't really feel like they could achieve the clarity that they did with the other two to make it really sound like a new, new song. George especially really did not want to do it. Uh, He led the charge in scrapping it. Typical classic George. (laughs) Yeah. The technical term in his mind, he called it fucking rubbish. There we go. So we got two songs for the anthology and this one other one. And you'd think that would be the end of it, though. Paul mentioned in subsequent interviews multiple times that he still wanted to return to it one day. And I think that was probably part of the speculation, because I know even from the very day that they mentioned that there was going to be a new Beatles song or when the rumbling started, people were like, oh, it's going to be now and then. I'll admit it. I'd never heard of it. And I was like, oh, okay. how do you know that? And they, you know, they explained about the anthology, but that fueled the speculation. And so one day became 2021 when the audio (laughs) technology that Peter Jackson's team pioneered for the Get Back film, the machine audio learning system known as MAL. Love that. So cute. (laughs) I know. But that opened up all kinds of possibilities for enhancing audio, restoring audio, previously thought too degraded to even be used. I mean, you saw this in Let It Be, the flower pot conversation. Oh my God, so good. Yeah, I love that they were able to restore that tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, last year's Revolver mix was only made possible that year thanks to this technology. They didn't think they would be able to deal with the older albums in the same way, but this technology was able to separate exactly which instrument was which, put it on its own separate track, which they called demixing. And then they could hand it all over to Giles Martin to remix it into the same 
stereo and Dolby Atmos mix that he had started doing with Sgt. Pepper up to Get Back, Let It Be. Yeah, hopefully he'll be able to take that technology and do, you know, like Rubber Soul and the earlier albums, which were also mixed down so far that previously they thought they couldn't mix it, kind of like Revolver. Well, I would think that our other exciting bit of news might might give us an answer to that, too. So. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Now we come to Now and Then, the song that we heard this morning, today. Yay, just so exciting. Oh, my God. It's so surreal, Erica. It's so surreal. It's so, I mean, getting a new Beatles song and not just they found these recordings of a Cavern Club performance and some new cover that we hadn't heard them do before. Like, this is a new original contributions from all four of them. It's crazy. Just before we get into the production, like, we should probably be very transparent with you all. Um, And we'll talk about it a little bit later in the episode, but we did get to hear it a little bit early at some listening events in LA and New York. So we've had time to kind of sit with it for a while and think about it and ruminate on it and uh, really hone in our thoughts on this incredible, incredible track. Yeah. So I think speculation about this started last summer-ish when Paul cryptically mentioned the possibility of an AI Beatles song, uh, a comment that was very much misunderstood. The Mao technique does use AI technology, but it's not like creating, you know, a robot version of John. It's not like when you see those things on YouTube, like, hear the Beatles sing the monkeys. It's not that. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. And this is definitely something we'll talk about probably next time. But I was on Ringo's media line at his birthday in July in Beverly Hills. And even somebody beside me asked him about the Beatles song and, oh, it's just going to be all AI. And Ringo said, "Uh, some of it. But, you know, he was obviously sworn to secrecy, so he didn't really address it. But that was his professional answer was some of it. For all that the Beatles love new technology and tried so hard to get new things to happen, like with Magic Alex, like Peter Jackson (laughs) is actually Magic Alex. Oh, my God. I never thought that there'd be a parallel. I mean, not that there's a parallel drawn. It's more like a zigzag. (laughs) Or Peter Jackson right. and Magic Alex. That's <laughs> totally true, though. I've never thought of it that way. He just needs to get them a spaceship. Yeah. And a guitar where you can turn the head around to change what type of guitar it is. <laughs> I know all the things that Magic Alex promised could be true with Peter Jackson. So this song, it was just finished this year. We've got these original vocals from John. We've got George's 1994 tracks, which he laid down some acoustic guitar, some electric guitar, and some background vocals for the first iteration of Now and Then. We've got new drums and vocals from Ringo, and we've got Paul adding new bass, guitar, vocals, piano, which the piano was played to match exactly John's original. And he also recorded a (laughs) slide guitar solo, which is an homage to George, but you know, it's not George. Yeah, I've got to I got to snicker a little bit because Paul in the documentary that was released yesterday that is so good. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but Paul explains that he did it as a tribute to George, which I just think is so funny <laughs> that it's not George. It's, it's Paul doing George. And on top of that, Giles Martin carries on the tradition of his own father, George, by creating a new string arrangement alongside Paul and another musician, Ben Foster. And he does something really cool. He adds backing vocals from 
three original Beatles songs, Here, There, and Everywhere, Eleanor Rigby, and Because, kind of in the style of the Love Album, which was the oh. first Beatles project he ever worked on. It's so good. I still love that album so much. I love it. And it's so it's so crazy. It's just all this weird, like, time-looping, mind-crazy stuff where you see Giles and Paul, and you see footage of George Martin and Paul and John recording and, you know, George in the 90s, and it's just so crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And Erica, I think we need to address the elephant in the room here when we talk about now mm. and then, which is the cover art. Very controversial. Very controversial. Yeah, Giving a lot of talk online, not all of it good. Uh, it's yeah. designed by very, very famous contemporary pop artist, Ed Rusha, who also has worked with Paul before. He designed the covers for McCartney 3 and The Art of McCartney, which was that compilation double album that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. There's mixed reviews on the art. Um, I have heard one theory and one theory alone, which helps me justify it. Same. I like this one. If you look at the, the diagonal angle of the words now and then, and you kind of overlay it on the original Red and Blue albums where you have the Beatles staring down in that alleyway or staircase or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like a stack of balconies or something, yeah. Yeah, so the angle is almost the same. So if you look at the two things together, which the things are obviously being grouped together in this release, you can kind of see a relation. Yeah, you can draw that parallel. I think it's fascinating that Rusha currently has an exhibit on at the MoMA in New York called Now Then, <laughs> LOL. Um, and, you know, it's it's a coincidence. You know, his 2005 book was called Then and Now, so it's probably a play on that. But it's just funny. It's just funny to me. A lot of people are actually liking the back cover design a bit more than the front cover design, which is a collage art piece, which is a bit more interesting, a little, um, you know, Alice in Wonderlandy. It kind of reminds me, too, of like Mary Blair, who designed the It's a Small World ride in Disneyland and did like the artwork and, and um, Sleeping Beauty and that kind of Disney and Alice in Wonderland, like you said. So, yeah, I love the back cover. I think it's very cool. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that. So you can always flip it over if you're not really yeah, happy. Yeah, you don't with like it, flip it over. The, front. <laughs> <laughs> the other promotional image that we've been seeing a lot is actually my favorite, which is an image of the cassette demo with the title now and then yeah. in John's handwriting. That says more, I think, than any new piece of art could possibly say about what it is we're going to hear. I agree. And there's also, like we alluded to earlier, there's a 12-minute companion video, which was released yesterday. And Paul, Ringo, Sean, and Peter Jackson tell the story of the song. We'll talk more about that in a sec, but it's so phenomenal. Love that thing. Hell yeah. As always, there's lots of different ways that you can get it. There's, of course, the digital download. There's the streaming. You can get it on 7 and 12-inch black vinyl single, um, also a 7-inch light blue or clear vinyl. Uh, if you go to the Beatles store only, you can also get a limited edition single. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> single. That's so retro. Yeah, so you can get the single. And one that I kind of want, which is a seven-inch blue and white marbled vinyl. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds really pretty. By the way, the way I said single, that was a shout out to whoever called me a Valley Girl in the um, Apple reviews. A single? <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, but yeah, it's interesting because the single is back to "Love Me Do." Now and then, first and last, really, Truly. really leaning into that in every level. Yeah, and of course, those of you who love a Dolby Atmos release, guess what? You're going to get it. 
streaming and uh, you know digitally. So look for that. And it is it is good. We both, as we said, have the yes. pleasure of going to a listening event in a Dolby Atmos room, and you just—it's a whole new experience to hear it like so that. So great, yeah. And then tomorrow, Peter Jackson's music video for Now and Then. So we'll talk about that in a later episode after everyone's had a chance to see it. Yeah, I thought it was very cool that this is Peter Jackson's music video uh, directorial debut. And as Erica said, we'll get into it once uh, everybody's seen it. But I thought it was cool um, that he was hesitant about doing it. You know, he was really nervous because it's the Beatles, you know. And it's like, dude, you did get back and it was perfect. But I guess it's different if you're doing a proper music video for them. This is something I just love about Peter Jackson, that no matter how celebrated it, he is, no matter how many awards he's won, he's just one of us. We love him. Yeah. It's exciting that he's still yeah. involved in Beatles projects like this, too. I know. So good. I would trust nobody else, really, with most of this. I mean, he created the technology that made it possible. Yes, exactly. He's like the $6 million man. Probably more than that, though. Let's be real. Bit more. Bit more. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> he could take all my money. I'm good with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of credit cards, the Beatles people <laughs> have given us another thing that we can throw all of our money at next week. Absolutely. Um, yeah. A week after now and then, which is going to be November 10th, I believe there's going to be remixed expanded versions of the seminal red and blue albums, the compilation albums. Red is 1962 to 66 and blue is 1967 to 70. These are, I think, the albums that most like next-gen fans that I know kind of learned about the Beatles on. Yeah, for sure. Until one got released in like 2001, I think. This was it. Red and blue was where it was at. And you were either a red person or a blue person. So Erica, which one are you? Oh yeah, red all the way. Yeah, same. I mean, there was a period in my life where I was definitely blue, but I think as I've settled into my fandom as an adult, definitely red for sure. And I remember used to looking at those, the two covers next to each other and, you know, facial hair makes such a huge difference, especially when you're looking at them and you're like 12. Yeah. <laughs> they and they look, look scary. So different. <laughs> yeah. The they look so different. <laughs> I know. They look so grown up, even though they yeah. were like 24 in George's case. Everyone under 30. And speaking of George, one of the best things about the new Red and Blue is that it includes lots of George tracks. I cannot believe there wasn't a single George song in the original Red. That is insane. I, I When I found that out, I was like, there's no way. And I went back and looked at the Red album. And it's, I, I don't, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. This is writing the serious wrong on a very important set of albums. Um, you can pick how you like to listen to your Red and your Blue. The CDs have the tracks listed in the chronological order, but the LPs use the original track listings for discs one and two, and then disc three is the bonus with all of the new tracks. So if you're really, really wedded to your your original playlist order, you can still get it in the CD. Yeah. And as per usual with these sets, demixing of these tracks was done by Peter Jackson, remixed by Giles Martin. And 30 of 38 tracks are newly remixed, but the others were obviously already done for Revolver in 2022, uh, among the other Giles releases. And we got to hear I Am the Walrus. Did they play I Am the Walrus that you're listening, Erica? Ticket to Ride and I Am the Walrus. Ticket to Ride, yes. And they, oh my gosh, like the sound, unreal. Yeah. And yeah. 
I mean, I am yeah. the walrus is the perfect, <laughs> it's, it's just perfect for Giles's style, but also these earlier songs, they're just new when you hear them. Yeah. As we've talked about so many times, it's like he brings out these elements that you might not have even noticed before. But I'm the walrus. I've never dropped acid, but hearing that like in Atmos was probably the closest I'll get with just being surrounded in this like swirl of sound, which you can yeah, only yeah. imagine with that that track. It was it was insane. The only thing close to it, I think, was Tomorrow Never Knows on the Revolver album. Oh Very my god, totally feeling of kind of being you know, sucked in through a vortex of sound and just yeah. getting lost in it. Love Incredible. it. It's like, that's the kind of stuff I feel like Atmos was invented for, just to like, Im- obviously immerse yourself. <laughs> um, but really, truly, like, just, I feel like I'm drowning in it. It's, it's such a good feeling. And this bodes well for what we were talking about, about Rubber Soul and earlier and, and doing new mixes of all of those things with the new technology, because mm. 30 of these tracks are from pre-revolver times and they're able to right. do them and we've got the blue too the blue for those of us who have been avidly consuming all of the re-releases in sergeant pepper there's less new on that for us so nine tracks added to the original track list including now and then so seven of the tracks on the blue are newly mixed everything else is from previous records and they're doing the same things that they're doing with red if you want the original track list order you can go for the cd but the vinyl has a special extra disc with the new songs sweet yeah and we'll talk more about those once they're out and everybody's enjoying them yes but now back to the main event the main event yes and like we said earlier we were very very hashtag blessed to go to these listening events uh on our respective coasts and in LA, we, you know, got to listen to the song, see the documentary, see the music video, which again, will be out tomorrow. And we got to roll through the marketing plan, which is all very, very fascinating and learn a little bit about the rollout. <laughs> You're listening, Erica, you have like a really special guest. Yeah, Apple CEO Jeff Jones came to walk us through and introduce Always the project to Always a good day when Jeff us. Jones turns up. Yeah. You, you know, they care when you've got... Jeff Jones coming yes. to your little intimate event. It was it was amazing. Incredible. So great. Allison, what did you think when you first heard it? Oh, my God. Okay. I'm trying to t- go back to that moment. I mean, the piano in the beginning is so unmistakably John. Obviously, you know, Paul helped. But I think overall, speaking of Paul in this track, it really reminded me overall of like a track from Chaos and Creation. Just like sort of that vibe. Not necessarily like Paul's backing vocals, but just the sort of piano, which harkens back to me to like anyway on Chaos and Creation. The lyrics and the melody, I was thinking about that today, John's vocals and John's writing and just the way he's singing it. It really, to me, sounds like woman, which kind of makes sense because this could have ended up on Double Fantasy. That was something that I really, really noticed. In a way, this kind of felt like Late 70s John, Chaos and Creation Paul, Wilbury's George, um, you know, Ringo's timeless. <laughs> Ringo's solid drumming, yeah. Ringo's drums come in, and that's when you're like, oh, fuck yeah, it's a Beatles song. But yeah, it's almost like we're hearing the Beatles from different periods of their life coming together and making Beatles music again, which is really interesting. I really felt like John's voice was perfect perfectly clear maybe a little hauntingly so and yeah. that might be because we're listening to it in this atmos room and we're thinking about what all has gone into making it happen but it was just sure. crystal clear 
yeah, it sounded a little ghostly to me, um, especially because the song itself is a little melancholy. You can tell John was really feeling something strong when he wrote it and sang it. And uh, where's my McLennan peeps at if he was feeling something? <laughs> We're summoning the McLennan shippers. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics feel super McLennan-y. If we must start again, we will know for sure that I will love you. Oh and my not goodness. to mention, the original song was called I Don't Want to Lose You. And John had written for Paul on the tape. I mean, it says it all. And... You no, know, uh, I was speaking to somebody recently and they made a good point where if it weren't written about Paul, it would have probably been included on Double Fantasy. But why wasn't it? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm a McLennan. I mean, in the traditional McLennan sense, like I love John and Paul together, but I don't see them in that way. But it just deepens the beauty of it. Like, I love that there's subtext there. Yeah. And the subtext doesn't even have to be like smut. It can be just yeah. deep love that friends who have gone through profound experiences together have for each other. Yeah, for sure. As we go on again, Ringo's drums. And I think after the one minute mark, we have John's first verse and then we're really getting into the Beatles stuff. Yeah, definitely. And my comment after I heard it was Paul is pawing too hard on this. Like he went full <laughs> Paul. And like we talked about, <laughs> like we talked about earlier, his overdub of George's uh, guitar solo. I think it makes a huge difference when you hear that slide guitar. It's, again, one of these things where all of the elements are clicking into place. You've got the drums, the harmony, the use of other Beatles songs in the harmony. And you hear that. And, you know, that was a quintessential part of what makes the Beatles sound. I wish it had been George playing. Yeah. It feels like something he played, but you know it's not. And I think that if there's anything that's the weakest about the song, I think to me is that it's hard to hear actual George in there. There just wasn't a lot left from those recording sessions. And it's, you know, it's a nobody's fault. And I think Paul did a great job making, making up for what they could not actually have. But George's absence is missed when you hear yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and like you said, like they mind what they could, but you know, even Peter Jackson can't make uh, George Harrison materialize out of out of nowhere. I mean, he, maybe he should have hired like a medium or something to have George <laughs> come back and add something. <laughs> yeah, add. This is still fucking rubbish. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, no, no. <laughs> I told you I wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> I shan't do it. Yes, maybe Peter Jackson did hire a medium, and then George is still like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing we don't talk about. <laughs> I, I know, right? That's really the bridge, and it just keeps it keeps going. It's immersive in the Dolby Atmos sound. It washes over you. This is where you clearly hear, uh, it's around 2.58 or so, three minutes, that the because harmonies come in. It's just so uh, good. I, unreal, yeah. And, you know, I thought it was so interesting throughout the song to hear John's vocal, which is obviously from the 70s. It was still pretty, like, similar to his Beatles stuff in the tone. Meanwhile, you've got Paul's current vocals backing him up, which is, to me, it's almost disturbing in a very good way because it's like the passage of time. And you picture John in his 70s iteration, you know, where he's like still young and he's, you know, making music again after so long. And then Paul currently and just picturing them together, like sort of singing it is like very, very eerie to me. Like it makes like it gives me goosebumps. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me on his last tour, and maybe he's doing it now still, where he does I've Got a Feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, where he sings with John. Totally, yeah. totally. So how did you feel this compared to the other two post-Beatles songs we got in the 90s, Free as a Bird and Real Love? Because it really is the third piece mm. of that. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of it. Uh, whenever I think of Now and Then, I sort of morph it into Free as a Bird. But the more I think about it, the more it's like it's a hybrid of the two because it's sort of got that acoustical, just not a word, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> melody and the piano and things of real love. But to me, it's more closely re- related to Free as a Bird in the sort of key and the sound. But obviously, it's mm. not that like rock and roll sort of thing. Like Ringo's drums are not as intense as they are on uh, Free as a Bird. But I think they're definitely related. I can see how they're in that same niche as the other two. Free as a Bird really had it was it was so led by the slide guitar. It was really led by mm. George's work. I mean, if you think about how it opens with that insane guitar, it feels still like I'm feeling the absence of George when I compare yeah, these three. Yeah. And I do wonder too, I feel like they did it very straight in that for free as a bird, at least, and I can't remember for sure about real love, but Paul wrote new material. And then they also tacked on this that that end part that's very different from the rest of the song that is just such a hallmark of when the Beatles were at the top of their game and they were really writing and exploring music. Um, so, you know, I was I was just surprised about that. I expected a little more Beatles stuff, but at the same time, you only have two of them. But no matter what, I mean, it's still amazing and fantastic that we have this, of course. this piece. And, you know, that kind of leads me into our thoughts on the, the marketing campaign, which is such yeah. a big part of this. I mean, we're talking about a four-minute song, and it's being sure. promoted as the last Beatles song. I don't know. Like, I, I get it. And that's sort of probably the last track we'll have that all mm-hmm. four Beatles sort of organically contribute new material. However, I don't know. Like, I always just feel like there's more. Like, I don't know. I, I just, there's got to be more in that vault, you know, that there I, there was what, like 18 hours of anthology. It's kind of like the get back stuff. There's just so much. I think there's a lot more anthology footage that we didn't see. So I don't know if there's more there, but I don't know. I don't, do you feel like that's true? That's the last? Well, in the sense that we'll we'll probably never have another piece where all four Beatles can contribute new material, you know, unless unless John and George went on some kind of writing weekend and they recorded a bunch of demos together. You know, it's like once they're idea. gone, I love yeah. it too, and I hope it happened. And uh, you know, fanfic to come. But that's the only way that we can kind of get this element of something brand new has happened in real time. So I think that's where it probably is the last Beatles song. I'll say that when I heard all of the promotion at, at the event, it really hit me. I think this is the thing that I've been thinking about the most since we've had time to sit with all of this material for a while, is that the Beatles are intrinsically intertwined with this sense of nostalgia. And as Paul said, best ever present past, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's unusual. It's unique. There's no other cultural phenomena that has the kind of longevity that the Beatles have in that it's something that happened in the past, but so many of the players are 
still alive to either remember their experiences with the media or they're still producing the media, you know? Right. And they maintain relevance. You know, the boomer generation has always generated a sense of interest from younger generations that previous ones haven't. I was thinking about Beatles media. It always references this context. Uh, The first major Paul McCartney biography in the 90s was called Many Years From Now. Mark Lewis's book is called Tune In All These Years. And then you look at the songs that the Beatles himself wrote. Paul has That Was Me, Early Days, Ever Present Past. George had When We Was Fab all those years ago. I mean, it's just something. It's all like a reflection. Yeah, it's always this recurring thing. Like it made me feel like we're living in this sort of like multidimensional Beatles universe where all of these versions of them are sort of living side by side with one another. And it's that that feeling of that longing for the past you never experienced. Oh, yeah. Like it's this thing in the fandom that we all have this nostalgia for the stuff that we weren't there for. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of ironic, Erica, because you talk about this cultural longevity that the Beatles have and probably will always have. But also with this campaign, you know, calling it the last Beatles song, there's obviously a tone of finality to it, which makes this really I have a lot of mixed feelings about how this sits with me, you know, like it's so exciting. But by calling it the last Beatles song, it's like, oh, damn, like that's a lot, you know, and so it makes it kind of like melancholy, kind of like the song. Yeah. I mean, we've never really had had to experience a last, you know, especially yeah. for those of us who were kind of young enough to have lived our Beatles fandom with John and probably George gone. Yes. Yeah, Paul Ringo always producing, you never think there's going to be a last. And yeah. it makes it sad, but it also makes it kind of poignant to really think about embracing the moment and and really experiencing this as it could be the last time we get this. Oh my God. In this way. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, uh, let's, yeah, this is a fucking bummer, isn't it? <laughs> fucking bummer. It's, it, really? it's fucking rubbish. <laughs> uh, George, I agree. I agree. Uh, 100%. George, yes. This is, this is a lot. This is a lot. Yeah. And then of course we have Love Me Do on the back. So we've got, you can just flip it over and everything's good again. Last, yeah, we can all start over. We start at the beginning. <laughs> Isn't that funny about the Beatles story? Like all of these elements, we always talk about this at the podcast. So there's some kind of kismet. Like there's this one yeah. song that waited decades and decades to come out because of technical issues with a name that lends itself to looking back nostalgically on 60 years. It's just crazy. How does that happen? You can't write this stuff. And it's still happening. Yeah, in real time. From the beginning to what could be the end, which I don't, I don't think it's the end, the end, but the end of this era, it's perfectly written. It's wild. And of course, yesterday, the video documentary, which was produced by Apple, came out, which is, I, I absolutely love it. When we got to see it at the listening event, it was just such a delight. And it has new narration from Paul, Ringo, Sean, Peter Jackson. And there's also archival narration from George sort of telling the story of the song He doesn't call it fucking rubbish there uh, (laughs) and how it came to be. You know, I watched it multiple times again since it came out. And the thing that really was wild was kind of how it it was such a continuation of what we were just talking about with this whole Beatles multiverse sort of feeling is that it seamlessly edits footage together of the Beatles from various time periods, but it does it in the most clever way. Like it doesn't feel like you're jumping in time. 
they're using various B-roll, but the fact that, you know, the B-roll could be 50 years apart doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. And Mm. you don't see modern day Paul and Ringo until they start talking about 2022. You know, I thought there was one really interesting thing where they were talking about how Paul did the bass part for now and then. And so they kind of interspersed all of these clips of Paul with his Hoffner during the anthology recording for this song mm. at Shea Stadium. Like they, they kept showing all of these different things. It feels so natural and yet it's so unusual to have yeah. footage of these people throughout 60 years of their life. Yeah, and it's clever to use the Hoffner because I think of all the instruments, maybe Ringo's Ludwig drums, although I know he sort of switches it up now. The Hoffner has been such an icon of the Beatles from day one, you know, when Paul mm-hmm. started playing bass. And today, obviously, in bass in concert, he still plays the Hoffner primarily. So it's so smart to sort of draw that line through history. Yeah, and actually, they do it great with Ringo, too, because they'll have some music playing underneath and you'll see Ringo drumming in time to whatever it is that we're hearing, but we'll see Ringo in three different eras drumming in time in the same time, just, you know, cutting back and forth pretty quickly through all of these different eras of Ringo doing exactly the same thing. It's so crazy. So good. Yeah, I, I just absolutely love that documentary. I'm so glad they did it. It's a perfect companion. And we still have the music video yet to come. We still have the red and blue yet to come. Oh, so my goodness. Yeah. So much to look forward to. I know. Yes. I'm very excited about this. And I'm excited we're back. Yeah, me too. So we're going to talk about all of this. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back next year. No, next week. <laughs> next week. We'll be back. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't scare them like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again soon. We'll be talking about next week's release of the remaster Red and Blue and, of course, the Peter Jackson music video that we'll be yes, hitting everywhere. Yes, and we tomorrow. have much, much more to come. We have some great guests lined up for future episodes. So don't worry. We're not abandoning you again. We still love you. <laughs> we're not like yes. delinquent parents. We, we will be back. And we want to hear from you. We'll be around. So please be around with us. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. Give us a rating and review so other Beatlemaniacs can find us. Yes. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter slash X slash whatever. Uh, We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. And like Eric said, please, please comment on our socials. um, Let us know what you think of the last Beatles song. Let's talk about it. And you can email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com too. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.